So that was, if the drumstick travels more than 10 feet, that's really good worship going on right now. So good job. Yes, it's Holy Spirit darts. That's what Megan says. So I don't know that that's biblical, but it's a mechanism, so it's okay. Um, dark caves. We all experience them in our life. And what seems to happen often is when we go through a dark cave, no matter what causes the cave, we seem to lose our joy. And the reason is because even as Christians who have known God for years, maybe, Christians who have walked with God and talked with God and understand God's word, we still seem to figure out a way to miss the definition of what joy is. And that's what we're going to study today in the life of David. This is what David teaches us about thriving in a dark cave. And to get started, first I want to make sure that you understand there are two aspects. When we left David off last time, it was a situation where he was in the cave, and the scripture says, if you remember, we read from his devotional book, right, the Psalms, he said he was surrounded by the righteous, even in the midst of the evil trying to kill him. And we discovered, did we not, that the righteous that were surrounding him were 400 men who were disaffected, disenfranchised, disconnected. The scripture says they were bitter, they were in debt, they were angry, they had resentment. And all these people were drawn to David in the wilderness. And he says, I'm surrounded by the righteous. And that's where we left off last week. And now... I'm going to go through, I'm not going to read chapter 22, verse 6 to 23. I'm just going to kind of break it down for you just a little bit so you understand what happens here. The king, Saul, has lost his mind. And basically what happens is Saul hears that David has been seen in the caves. He's also hearing that David has been seen at Nob, which was the city of all the priests. That's where a lot of the priests live. If you guys remember correctly from last week's sermon, that's where David ran. He lied to the priest and said, I'm here on secret business. Please give me the holy bread and give me Goliath's sword because the king has sent me on a special mission. And he got all that stuff. And you guys remember, David saw this guy named Doeg, who he knew was a faithful servant of Saul. So that's why David asked for the sword. And David also knew, I got to get out of here because Doeg might go and tell Saul that I'm here. Well, Saul hears that David has been seen. And Saul says, look, I'm the king. If you guys will tell me where he is, I can give you land, I can give you money, I can give you power, I can give you prestige. I'm the one that can do all that. You think this shepherd boy David can do all that for you? He's not king. He's in the wilderness. I'm king. Listen to me, and you'll get some help. And Doeg falls for that, and Doeg tells David, or tells him that he saw David with the priest in the city of Nob. He says, I've seen him there. And so Saul goes with a bunch of men, with Doeg and a bunch of other men, his servants, and he goes to the city of Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest who's there, and he says, what's going on with David? Why did you hide him from me? And the priest tries to say, look, man, Saul, David's a good guy. Did he not kill Goliath when you were sitting there in front of the Philistines? For all those days, he killed the guy, and, he, and he, he's done great things. He's a good man. He played the harp for you. I mean, he's a man after God. Why do you want to kill him? 
Saul gets very angry. And he commands the priests to all be slaughtered. You guys understand he's lost his mind. Not only the priests, he says kill their families, kill their cattle, kill everything about the priests, the people who worked and interceded between men and God. Because I think they're on David's side. And he tells the servants, he says, servants, go kill them. And the scripture says, those servants actually said, you know, we're a little uncomfortable with this, Saul. We don't want to kill the priests. That'd be like y'all getting mad at me and wanting to kill me. Now, I know that's more realistic, but still, the point, the point that I'm trying to make here is that Saul has lost his mind. And so he turns to Doeg and he says, you're the one that ratted out, David. You go kill the priests. And at this point, Doeg becomes a hand of Satan. Remember what I told you the overriding theme of the Life of David series is, right? Satan hates David. And from the very beginning, even when David was in the field as a shepherd, he would send lions and bears and David would kill him. Satan has been trying to kill David because if he can take David out, he messes up the line of Christ and we can't be saved. That's the whole point of the study of the life of David. Here's another example. Not only is he using Saul, he now uses Doeg. Doeg clearly is an evil person. He slaughters him. The scripture says he wiped out the whole town. Women, children, priests, pets, cattle, everything. It's pretty dark. One priest escapes, Ahimelech's son. And he runs to David. He says, look, here's what happened, man. Saul came. My dad tried to stick up for you. And then Doeg killed us all. I'm the only priest left. My whole town has been destroyed, David. My dad, my mom, my brothers, my sisters, our livestock, my life has been ruined, David. And at the end of the chapter, I'm just going to read you the last three verses so you get a feel. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when I saw Doeg the Edomite there that he would surely tell Saul... And I have caused the death of all the persons and of your, your father's whole house. David is feeling bad about this. And listen to what he says. This is an amazing thing. Why did Saul kill them all? Because he wanted David, right? Look what David says in the last verse. Stay with me, Abiathar. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life, he seeks your life too. But with me... You will be safe. Now, if you, I don't know if y'all catch that, but it sends chills up my spine to think about this. The whole reason that Saul slaughtered the priest is because he wanted to kill David. And David says, hey, that same guy who tried to kill you and your family, he's trying to kill me. Stay with me for safekeeping. So why does he say that? The reason is because David knows he's connected to the Father. That's what we see in 1 Samuel 22, verse 20 to 23. Stay with me for safekeeping. 
Now, I want you to understand, Psalm 52, I'm going to read this to you because this is, this is another look into David's prayer journal, if you would. Why do you boast, O evil, mighty man of evil? The steadfast love of God endures all day. He's talking about Doeg. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor. You're a worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank God forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good. For I am in the presence of the godly. Why did David say you're going to be safe? Because he knew he was an olive tree in the house of God. Even while he was in a dark cave. It's so amazing. See, when we get a chance to look into David's journal, his prayer journal, and read these Psalms, we have a perspective of who David is, even in the midst of this trial. Guys, Saul is trying to kill him, threw, threw spears at him three times. He sent people to chase him. He slaughtered a whole city of priests. And yet he relies on God. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting. I'm reading in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. Now be, they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David went to God and said, shall I go and attack these Philistines? He's in the midst of a cave and he says, should I go and protect my fellow citizens? And the Lord said to David, go, attack the Philistines and save that city. But David's men said, David's men said to him, Remember the disaffected and disenfranchised that surrounded him? We are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go up to the city against the armies of the Philistines? Then David went back to the Lord a second time. And the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines right into your hand. And David and his men went and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock, struck them with a great blow, and he saved the inhabitants of Calah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, to Calah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand, and now it was told Saul that David had come to that city, Calah. So now all of a sudden, Saul has spies. He knows David is in that city. And look how Saul responds. And Saul says, God has given David to my hand, for he has shut himself into this town. There is no entry or exit. He has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people of war to go down to Calah and besiege David and his men. But David knew that Saul was plotting against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come here to Calah to destroy this city because of me, because I'm here. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? In other words, will they wrap me out even though I just saved them? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh, Lord God of Israel, please tell me what I should do. And the Lord said, he will come after you. 
And David said, will the men of Caleb surrender me and my men to the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, yeah, they'll betray you. They'll stab you with a knife right in your back, even after all you just did for them. So David and his men, who were about 600 now, remember it was 400, now there's 200 more. They arose and departed from Caleb, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David escaped from Caleb, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God never gave him into his hand. So David relies on God. He hears about the Philistines raiding Caleb. He asks God if he should go take care of it. God says, yes, take care of it. David's men are afraid, so God asks a second time. And then they go and kick Philistine booty. They save the city. David learns of Saul's plot to kill him right in that city. He finds out, God says, look, they will betray you. Saul is coming down. So he leaves, and he, and he goes with his 600 men, and he lives in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is not forests with a nice little babbling brook and Bambi who's easy to shoot with a bow and arrow so you can have plenty of food. I went to Israel many years ago with my wife and we did a, a lot of touring. And I took some amazing pictures. Not amazing because of me, but because of the things I was taking pictures of. And this is the wilderness. You see that? It's not like Sometimes you see the movie Robin Hood and they're in this nice green forest with all the, the, the varmints they can shoot and kill and there's a nice little brook and there's shade and everything. This was the wilderness. And David is on the run in the wilderness going from place to place trying to keep away from Saul. And that was his life. Saul's trying to kill him. The priests are slaughtered. He goes and saves a town for the Philistines and even they will betray him because they're afraid. Of Saul. Saul lived in a palace with servants and money and power. David was running in caves for his life, yet David was the stable one. Remember this in James, we talked about this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or stable stability, steadiness. And let steadiness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, even in a dark cave. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, what did David do? Compare that to what Saul did. Did Saul ask God, God, have you given David into my hand? What did David say? God, do you want me to go take care of the Philistines? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously. If you guys remember, for those who were here for that series on James, when I said generously, it means that God is like so excited to give it to us. He's sitting on his throne and he's saying, just ask me for wisdom. Please just ask me and I'll douse you with it. And that's what that word generously means. He wants to drown us in his wisdom. If any man lacks of wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see how we can compare Saul and David in this passage in James? One has a, 
a, a castle with all the food and servants and soldiers he could possibly have. One lives in a cage, in a cave with a bunch of misfits. And David's the stable one. It had nothing to do with their physical circumstances. It had everything to do with the favor of God. See, in the midst of the cave, David knew he was connected to the Father in a way that Saul wasn't. And he knew that no matter what Saul did, or no matter what Doeg did, or what the cave was like, Heavenly Dad would never leave him, never forsake him, and never let him go. Let me read to you from my journal from many years ago when I was studying this passage. This is 1999. It seems that often I have inserted a false definition of what joy is. Far too often I can't experience joy because I am focused on the walls of the cave. Hear that? Instead of my relationship with Heavenly Dad. Why do I confuse emotional happiness and physical satisfaction with joy? Why can't I learn that even in the midst of trouble, trial, and difficult times, my joy can be filled to overflowing even as I suffer? And I was frustrated at the time. Why can't I learn that lesson that my joy is not determined by my circumstances? In fact, many years later, I did learn that lesson in the midst of a dark cave. And I share this story because I want you to understand that this is not... It's a hard story to share. Many of you know it, but, but it's still important to understand that I can relate to what David was going through to a certain degree. And the reason I make myself vulnerable so often in my sermons, and some of you even sent me an email, man, you're telling us an awful lot of secrets about your life. And I have been, and you guys know that. And the reason is because I want you to know that, that faith is real. It's not church. You follow me? Faith is real. It's not these rows of seats. And I'm hoping that as, as I show you my flaws and deficiencies and where I have failed and where I have struggled and the things I've gone through, I hope as your pastor, as I'm sharing those things with you, that encourage you to know that faith and a relationship with God that is real and powerful is certainly attainable. Because if I can do it, you sure can. So the day after Laura and I had learned that Sarah was gone, my daughter, and she died. I remember feeling the struggle, and I remember having this in me, like, okay, how can I be a pastor today? How can I love my wife? How can I love the kids in my youth group that are hurting? How can I love my son? What do I do? And I'm struggling with all these things, right? Like, but I was angry, and I was hurt, and I was scared, and I was, I was crying, and it was a painful time in my life. And I remember I had bought, I had pre-purchased an album that was going to be due out a couple months later. And I had bought it on iTunes so that it would be delivered to my inbox the day it dropped. It was a David Crowder album. And so the day after this tragedy in our lives, I'm sitting there trying to have time with God. You know, it's really hard to have devotions when you're going through this. You just want to scream. And so this email comes in. The new Crowder album is in your inbox. So I went and downloaded it, and I looked through the songs. This album that I had pre-purchased a month earlier that drops the day after this tragedy in my life. 
And I saw this title. And I said, that title looks interesting. It was a song called You Never Let Go. So I, uh, I remember I was in our living room. It was one of the few times during that tremendously chaotic time in our lives where I was actually alone for a few minutes. And I put on my earbuds and pulled up the iPod and I played this song. And I could not believe the ministry that God was giving to my heart at that time. And he brought to my attention this study. And I turned to my journal and I read, why can't I learn that even in the midst of trial and suffering that I can have joy? And people would ask my wife and I, how are you doing? And we'd say, sometimes we're hurting. Sometimes we're screaming. Sometimes we're crying. But we're always thriving. Because what God had taught me as I listened to that song through, and it says, when darkness comes and when the floodwaters rise, he never lets go. And I was just overcome by the fact that in the midst of my dark cave, the deepest, darkest, darkest, dampest cave I could imagine in my life, the time where I had the most pain I could ever imagine, I felt connected to the Father in a way that I never had before. It was such a powerful moment in my relationship with Heavenly Dad. And so I thought I would open my soul to you to one of the most personal, intimate moments in my life with Heavenly Dad. And I'm praying that that encourages you a little bit. You know, some of you are going through chemo. I know you've shared it with me. Some of you are struggling with your children who are wayward. You've shared it with me. Some of you are struggling because you don't have a job. You know where you're going to pay your next bills. Some of you have shared that you're struggling in your marriages. And I pray for each one of you. Whenever it's shared, you know, you send me an email or a text and I'm praying for you. And, and it's an honor that you would come to me with those. And so I can just lift you up to the throne. And some of you are in dark caves. Some of you are struggling with personal demons, with addictions, with bitterness, resentment, anger. Some of you have been struggling with betrayal. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have betrayed someone else. And there's guilt. You're in a dark cave. But if you know Heavenly Dad like I know Heavenly Dad through the work of His Son Christ on the cross who bled and died so that you might have life, even in the darkest cave, you can have joy. I'm going to play a video of that song for you now. What I'd like for you to do is just think through. There's some great images there. The song is great. If you can listen to the words. And if you're not in a dark cave somewhere today, maybe you're doing pretty good. Maybe you're out on the rooftop somewhere. A dark cave will come soon. It will. Trust me on this. It's a fallen world, is it not? But your joy is not tied to the cave that you're in. Show the clip. 